0: Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. We are in episode 118 of our weekly series. I'm your host, Rick Cole. Every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip down memory lane back in time to bring you all the hockey news from 50 years ago, exactly as it was being reported by some of the greatest sports journalists of all time. In this week's show, we're looking at the period of February 14th to 20th in 1972. Now, if you like what we do every day on Twitter through the week, and of course, each week here Uh, in our podcast. You can help us out a lot by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to the podcast. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, the one we're recording right now, but we also put out some really interesting special content available only to the Patreon subscribers. Uh, This gives us a chance to delve more deeply and in greater detail into the stories that dominated the hockey world 50 years ago. We have some very interesting stuff coming up on the founding of the World Hockey Association that only our Patreon subscribers are going to be able to access. And you're going to get a lot of information you probably won't find anywhere else. Now on a personal note here, quick personal update. Uh, each day seems to get better as we mourn warn, warn the passing of Fran's mom. Uh, We thank everybody who has reached out with condolences and good wishes. They are immensely appreciated. We're missing her terribly, but life goes on and we're doing our best to carry on as well. Still have a few remnants of uh, the COVID jumping up and bite me in the ass. And it's kind of frustrating to be slowed down by the cognitive impairment that uh, uh, it inhibits our typing and other tasks that require a bit of brain work. So things take us a little longer to do. This type of thing wasn't something that we uh, anticipated or we ever thought we'd have to endure, but it is uh, what we're uh, experiencing and we're working through it. So now let's get to what we're all here for anyway, and that's the hockey news from this week 50 years ago. Okay, so as we're going to start doing every week, uh, this is going to be our habit. Now, we're going to give you a, a snapshot of the NHL standings. Uh, as of Monday of the week we're talking about In the Eastern Division The Boston Bruins had opened up an 8 point lead Over the New York Rangers Bruins with 87 points on a 39-8-9 record Rangers next with 79 Montreal was 6 back of the Rangers But with a comfortable lead over Detroit who held 4th place in a tie with Toronto, each with 57 points. The Red Wings, though, had the tiebreaker as they had one more victory than the Maple Leafs, 24-23. Bringing up the rear, Buffalo and Vancouver fighting for the seller. At this point, the Sabres were a point ahead of the Canucks, 36 points to 35. In the Western Division, Chicago now 11-point lead over Minnesota, 80 points to 69, and then there's a real drop-off with 22 points back of Minnesota. The California Golden Seals holding down third place with 47 points. The Blues three points back at 44, tied with Philadelphia once again, St. Louis, the tiebreaker for the final playoff spot. 18 wins to Philadelphia, 17. 39 points, Pittsburgh, and bringing up the rear, the LA Kings, only two points back of the Penguins now at 37. Seven. Now, as this week began, the big news around the hockey world, the thing everybody was talking about, was that mammoth event known as the World Hockey Association Player Draft. The process took up the entire weekend, beginning with what they called something like priority negotiating selections on Friday, followed by two days of tedious calling out names, both famous and obscure. We're going to provide a summary of the weekend's events Uh, in our WHA update later in the show, and we plan a very detailed look at uh, these basically founding days of the WHA in an upcoming overtime session For our Patreon subscribers. So if you really want to get into uh, the detailed information on the league's early days, once again, patreon.com slash hockey 50 years, and you'll get access to all this great information, stuff that's uh, really not out there and in the mainstream these days. So we will talk about the draft a little later. Now, the other big news that was floating around the hockey world on Monday also involved the World Hockey Association as well. And we do want to talk about that right off the bat. Many hockey news sources at this point in time were carrying the story about Toronto goalkeeper Bernie Perrant, a 26-year-old premier NHL netminder, by the way. Uh, Bernie had apparently, according to most reports, agreed to a three-year contract with the WHA team known at that point as the Miami Screaming Eagles. And the Toronto Globe and Mail had a story from that morning. No byline on this story, by the way. So I think it's D- uh, Dan Proudfoot, but we can't be 100% sure. But we're going to give you the uh, the first bit of this story as it was reported. Bernie Pratt rapidly became the player of prime focal interest in professional hockey on Sunday as the New World Hockey Association completed its draft of 888 players for its 12 clubs. And you're going to find, by the way, as we talk about the draft, everybody had a different total. So I, I... I, I reported as it was reported then. I don't claim to be completely accurate because there's so many conflicting sources. Now, there were several developments, including a warning from National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell about, quote, violation of contract. Friday night, several WHA executives, while declining, to uh let their names be used insisted that Leaf's goalie Prant had signed with the Screaming Eagles. Prant's lawyer, Howard Casper of Philadelphia, a quintessential Philadelphia lawyer, so to speak, had been negotiating with the Miami Club for several weeks, and Gardens president Harold Ballard wished the goalie luck if he could get six hundred grand up front and in the bank. Well, Sunday night, Casper, in a telephone interview from Philadelphia, would neither confirm nor deny that Perron had signed, but he insisted the goalie had been offered about three-quarters of a million dollars for a five-year contract. And that, Casper said, that figure was just for playing. Casper went on to say, I'll tell you this much. Everything will be guaranteed if Bernie goes with the Miami club and there are other ways to guarantee a deal rather than have the money put in the bank. Asked about a rumor that Perrant had already uh, received 250 grand from uh, the Miami club and that it's in the bank. Casper replied no, but the offer is three times that amount. Casper also said he was negotiating for other Toronto players who might sign with the WHA and some of the names would make your eyes pop. Casper said if Perant goes to Miami he will be one of the top five money-making athletes in professional sports. Casper would not name the other Toronto players he's representing but he did say they are among the 30 or 35 in the NHL for whom I am negotiating. Meanwhile, Campbell, Clarence Campbell, is ready to cancel Perron's ticket to Miami. Campbell came right out and said there's no way that he can leave the NHL. We have options in our contract, and he has a contract, so that's it. It's an enforceable contract. Now, remember Clarence Campbell's word here about an enforceable contract. As time goes on over the next couple of weeks Because those words will come back And they will take a big chunk And a bite out of Clarence Campbell's ass As we find out how things actually did unfold Now later in the week This wasn't resolved by the way this week But later in the week Stan Fischler, In one of his missives to the Toronto Star Said that the make-beliefs might trade Back to the Flyers uh, in exchange for Doug Favell and possibly another player or two, just to keep him moving, keep him from moving to the rival league. Now, I believe we might have talked about this earlier. Philadelphia players had already talked about, or Philadelphia newspapers, sorry, had already talked about the possibility of the least moving Bernie back to the Flyers. The news kept coming out that Bernie's wife was not happy in Toronto. She's a Philadelphia girl, and Bernie would love to get back there. Of course, moving to Miami solves none of that apparent uh, roadblock to Bernie enjoying life in Toronto. Would he enjoy it more in the sunny south of Miami? Well, maybe they would. I don't know. A little bit more hybrid NHL-WHA news uh, came out Monday, and that was Bobby Hull. He confirmed to the Canadian press that the Winnipeg Jets owner, Ben Haskin, had indeed offered him a five-year contract worth a million dollars. The story from Canadian press said that uh, Hawk star Bobby Hull confirmed that he had the offer in hand from Ben Haskin and that the owner of the Jets had offered him a contract during a meeting they had in Vancouver when the Chicago club was visiting the Canucks. Bobby said he didn't comment when Haskin first made the offer public because, quote, I didn't want my name to be used to cause a lot of fuss and draw attention away from his NHL Blackhawks. So Bobby Hull definitely does get an offer, but it remained to be seen just how valid this would be Or if Chicago Chicago would uh, attempt to somehow keep Bobby under contract. This was another story, like the Perrant story, that was starting to gain some legs. And we wondered whether it would be Perrant, Bobby Hall, Derek Sanderson, or maybe someone else as the first player to take that leap of faith to the other league. Derek Sanderson, by the way, was making news early in the week as well, but it wasn't for any WHA offers that were coming his way. A Revere, Massachusetts man was held for treatment in Massachusetts General Hospital for possible ruptured spleen suffered when he was struck by an automobile police said was driven By Derek Sanderson. Police said John F. Alino, 22, of 30 Oxford Place, was hit while walking on Aklon Way near the Madison Hotel at about 6.45 p.m., less than two hours after the conclusion of a hockey game between the Bruins and the Montreal Canadiens. No charges were filed against Sanderson after the accident, and the uh, cause of the accident... The case in general was still quote under investigation. Uh, sometimes you can translate that into seeing if a couple of parties that might be involved might be able to come to an agreement about how things should proceed. Harold Ballard confirmed a story on Monday that had been circulating for quite a while, but it had never quite made it past rumor status. Ballard said he has financing in place to add at least 5,000 seats to the 16,485 already installed at Maple Leaf Gardens to bring the capacity well over 20,000 for NHL hockey. Ballard says he's going to do this by raising the roof, similar to how Memorial Auditorium in Buffalo added a balcony to increase that capacity by about 5000 for Buffalo Sabres games. We'll see how this proceeds. And I'm wondering where Harold's getting the money. If he's borrowing a lot of money these days. I wonder if he'll have enough money to maybe compete for players with the WHA. Now here's another a kind of interesting scenario unfolding in Toronto this week. Those of you who enjoy the trade rumors, like I just lived for that stuff. The Blues defenseman Carl Brewer was having some knee problems and he was in Toronto this week having an injured knee looked at by a local specialist. Now here's where it gets interesting. The uh, examination took place, and a copy of the diagnosis by the specialist was sent not to the St. Louis Blues, but to the Maple Leaf Gardens and the Toronto Maple Leafs management. Now, Jim Gregory, general manager of Leafs, he quickly denied that the team was assessing uh, Brewer's health as part of a process of exploring trade possibilities. And it's quite likely that the doctor's office maybe were not great hockey fans and didn't realize that Carl had left the Maple Leafs seven years previously and had been playing in Detroit and St. Louis since then. Maybe they didn't know that Carl wasn't a Maple Leaf anymore. Maybe they thought he'd been traded back Or maybe they'd been asked to do this examination by lease management. I'd stay tuned on that one. And here's another story that sort of involves the Maple Leafs. Uh, It's been suggested all over the NHL that the Leafs are one of the teams really actively trying to acquire defenseman Carl Vadney, the captain of the California Golden Seals. Well, Milt Dunnell, the uh, great columnist of the Toronto Star, was never one to just sit around and let these things kind of... Go on and resolve themselves. He wanted to find out for sure. So prior to the All Star game in January, Milt reports Carl Vadney admits he did tell uh, Char- Charlie Finley that he wanted to be traded from the Seals. Now, it was not reported why Vadney was asking. Uh, to be traded And at the time he said This is my personal business I'm not going to talk about it I won't talk about it So don't ask me again And as near as I can tell Nobody did But uh, Milt Donald didn't get that memo So he asked Vadney this time And Vadney uh, Kind of uh, I guess you could say he, he came out with the reasons That he wouldn't tell the people Back in, in uh, Oakland Carroll said that his wife could not get enchanted with Oakland. She didn't like the city. She didn't like the town. She didn't like where they were living. And Carroll himself could not get accustomed to the hush of 9,000 vacant seats in the Bay Area rink when the Seals were trying to play games. And in Toronto... you'd you'd have uh, almost that many people if the Leafs had open practices. Dadney says, Charlie didn't really get mad. He tells me he understands how I feel and if he were a hockey player, he might do the same thing, he says, because he wouldn't like to play in front of 3,500 fans a night. That doesn't mean he says he's going to trade me, though he can't do that. No, the guy who could make the trade would be Gary Young. Now, Young is the general manager of the SEALs, and he attests to the persistence of the Leafs in their attempts to get Vadne, and he takes freakum solemn vows that Vadney will not be bartered away from the Bay, at least not by him. He doesn't discuss the possibility that Charlie Finley might make the move, so much for autonomy of a general manager. Well, Vadney joked with, with uh, Milt Donnell, I think it's just a case of waiting until... Somebody offers enough. Well, Young happened to walk by and assured that Vadney would not be traded and the SEAL's entire future is being built around his considerable talent. Another Leaf trade rumor had Ren Blair of the North Stars turning down a Toronto offer for right winger Bob Nevin, who of course began his career in Toronto, left in 1964 in that big deal that brought Andy Bathgate and Don McKinney to the Leafs from New York and resulted in Toronto winning the 19764 Stanley Cup. Talk about a team having bad luck this year. Last week, Philadelphia Flyers lost goalie Bruce Gamble for the rest of the season after he suffered a heart attack. Don McLeod was brought in from the American Hockey League Providence Reds to serve as a backup by the number two guy behind Doug Favell in the Philly goal. But you know what happens there? What can go wrong will go wrong. Fred Shero was interested to see just what he had in McLeod. So he started him right away. And in his first game, Don came down with a knee injury. and Now he's out for at least two weeks. That means that Bobby Taylor, 27, not with any NHL experience, has been recalled from the Richmond Robins of Flyers' American Hockey League farm team to be McLeod's fill-in and... I would bet Fred Sherrill going to put Bobby right into the fire to see how he works out as well. Bobby Taylor, will he be just a flash in the pan who will never hear from him again, or will he stick around the hockey scene for a while? That remains to be seen. North Stars General Manager Rem Blair, by the way, would like to sign American Olympians Tim Shee and Henry Boucher, who are both natives of Minnesota, but Blair can't even publicly express interest in the players because guess what? the negotiating rights already belong to the Detroit Red Wings. However, both Minnesota papers have suggested that Blair is talking almost daily to Detroit General Manager Ned Harkness in order to acquire those rights from the Wings. But Harkness only wants the North Stars' top players and he's proving very difficult to deal with in this particular scenario. Blair also said that the North Stars are much higher on Fern Rivard rather than Jill Gilbert, both goalies with the American Hockey League, Cleveland Barons, North Stars farm team. Blair says that if uh, either Gumpworthy or Cesar Maniego happens to go down with an injury or if either retire in the next year, Fern Rivard will succeed whoever is not around, and he is definitely the long-term solution to any puzzle that the Minnesota goaltending picture might turn into. And speaking of the Red Wings, I got a couple of news items for them. They did make a player move this week. They uh, sent down young players Danny Johnson and Doug Volmart to the CHL Fort Worth Wings. Uh, the guys, Those guys are not dressing for every game. They're sitting on the bench or in the press box. They're going to uh, get some ice time in Fort Worth, but they did bring up a body to replace these two kids. He is veteran forward Billy Sutherland from the American Hockey League, Tidewater Wings. Uh, He'd been bounced around uh, the NHL since he played early uh, with Philadelphia and then the Maple Leafs, and he's going to get some ice time with the Red Wings filling in for the two kids. The Wings also announced that on March 12th at the Olympia Arena, Gordy Howe's number nine jersey sweater I should say will be retired in a ceremony right before the nationally televised game that afternoon against the Chicago Blackhawks. Here's an interesting note about the Rangers Brad Park he's the first NHL defenseman in I believe about 30 years to have scored two hat tricks in the sea in a season that's right Brad Park has had two three-goal games this year. And you know what's really interesting about it? His three-goal games both were played and scored against Pittsburgh Penguins goalie Jimmy Rutherford. Pretty interesting scenario there. Now, you're going to tell me Rutherford is Park's uh, cousin? I don't believe that's true, but people were talking about it at the time. Okay, we were talking a little bit about the proposed uh, NHL expansion team for Kansas City. Uh, There are several groups that are attempting to acquire the... uh, NHL's expansion There, They have not announced that Kansas City will get a team yet. Geez, they don't even have an arena at this point in time. But Stanford P. Glazer offered to merge his efforts with those of Lieutenant Governor William S. Morris in an attempt to get the NHL team for KC. Glazer, who has proposed the stockyard site in KC for a hockey arena, said he sent a letter to a lawyer authorized to speak for Morris, who intends to bid for a hockey franchise. Glazer said the letter spelled out terms for a merger to be negotiated. Glazer went on to say the letter says we would like to have a portion of the hockey franchise and that we're willing to let Lieutenant Governor Morris' group have a controlling share. Glazer said if negotiations were not successful, he still intended to seek the franchise on his own. Here's an exchange that took place uh, this week after a Boston-Montreal game that ended up in a 2-all tie, thanks mainly to the wizardry of Montreal goalie Ken Dryden. Phil Esposito probably hates Ken Dryden with a passion, at least on the ice, because he has robbed Phil of more than his share of a few goals. Well, in the moments after the 2-2 tie, Phil had a few words of endearment for Dryden When he passed by Scotty Bowman in a corridor, Uh, Esposito, kind of in a derisive tone, said, You're damn lucky you got that goaltender, Bowman. He's saving your job. Bowman turned around, snapped back, The number four on your team isn't hurting you too much, Phil. And probably that was the best thing a man could say under those circumstances. If you are familiar with the year 1972, especially the month of September, then uh, you're going to know that this next story, it's going to be a little bit longer, but I wanted to bring this one to you. Uh, You'll know what everybody was thinking about the matchup that was going to take place between NHL stars and Russians. Ted Blackman who liked to put it out there. I'll say this for Ted. I didn't like a lot of what he said or what he wrote, but he would put himself out there with an opinion, right or wrong. It was his opinion. And he wrote this from Sapporo, Japan. We're not reporting on the Olympics. I won't do that, but we will talk about how the Russians and Canadian games would turn out. And he, Ted Blackman says the Russians are nowhere near the quality of Canadian professionals and I'm going to give you his reasoning right now it was like Sunday school they gave out a silver medal for attendance and when the excited states of america collected the runner up award Canadians might have doubted whether their country was right in abstaining from the winter olympics hockey spiel but only for a moment again in my opinion Russia's third successive gold medal proved little else but that Sweden has a heartless squad and the Czech spiritual commitment isn't a match for the awesome yet boring technique of the Soviet Union's faceless team and the Russians know it too. We regard Canadian professionals as very strong, said Arkteli Chernichev, the alter ego of Anatoly Tarasov. And when this is what they were saying after Russia dwarfed the Czechs 5-2 in a disappointing conclusion to a slumbering, boring Hockey tournament. We wanted to play them. New horizons of ice hockey could be opened by meeting the Canadian pros. Chernyshev's view is bullseye, especially with regard to the horizons of progress that would be opened to the Russians through a much sought confrontation. If this event shed light on anything new, it was at the stagnant state of the Russian game, at least in the eye of expert beholders is just exactly that, stagnant and stale. Bob Naden, the Canadian referee, said after handling Sweden's annual choke 4-3 loss to Finland, the Russians haven't improved in the slightest in four years and they may have even backslided a bit. They can pass and they can skate, but checking and shooting is still beyond them. On a good night, Naden says, they'd be close with the expansion teams, but the Leafs would fly by right, right by them, even with the troubles that Toronto's having at this moment in the NHL. They don't know how to take a man out of the play. Their defensive strategy would be thoroughly upset by the slap shot. Billy Harris, Derek Holm, Terry O'Malley, and Murray Williamson, the other Canadians here with some authority, expressed opinions along similar lines. The Russians, despite 10 consecutive world championships, are no more than pretenders to the actual world-class throne. Murray Williamson, the U.S. Olympic coach, said that Europeans are not as great as North Americans are led to believe, especially when a development team such as ours can pick up a silver medal. Canada might be right in playing a waiting game. The Russians are going to come to the NHL rather than... Vice versa. Indeed, the Soviet brass here repeatedly asked Canadian newspaper men to beat the drums for an international showdown. And in Europe next month, representatives from the stronger countries will gather to discuss the formation of a continental with a C professional hockey league, the forerunner of an NHL European division. The Russians can boast of only one area of improvement since their gold medal at Grenoble in 1968. And that area, quite surprisingly, is goaltending. In 19-year-old Vladislav Tretiak, they have a netminder that probably 14 NHL teams would cover at least to try to uh, develop them. However, it's still entirely conceivable that there is no newfound depth in goal in Russia. Blackman goes on to say that in other areas there is still evidence of mediocrity. They possess nothing of the caliber of NHL shooting and score solely by exploiting inferior opponents with the time-consuming passing patterns against weak goaltending. NHLers would not offer the Soviets these opportunities. Defensively, it isn't difficult to decipher their success. They steadfastly form into a box in the slot that denies the playmaker's any penetration at close range. Because the Czechs and Swedes too have weak shooters, the Russians face opposition with neither the ability nor the inclination to disrupt this defense. It would be quite another matter, however, if the Russians were to be faced with the potentially injurious shots of Bobby and Dennis Hall, Jacques Lemaire and Mark Tardif, Bobby Orr, Roger Gilbert, Alexander Ragulin and, and Ibnor Ramanchevsky would not remain sitting ducks for very long. Uh Blackman seems to be saying they wouldn't have the heart to stand up to NHL shooting. Billy Harris told Blackman, Russian superior conditioning is a myth. I don't doubt, says Harris, that the Russians start the season in better shape than NHL players. But by the 40th game in the NHL, you can't tell me the Boston Bruins aren't in the same condition as Russia. Canada could skate with them too. And Harris, expressing which must be a national desire, adds, I only wish they'd play this ultimate game instead of just... Talking about it So in assessing the chances of the Russians Against the uh, uh, NHL team Being an all-star He takes it as uh, a game against Boston Right now the top team in the NHL Uh, He says well look at this If the Montreal Canadiens Not having their best year In third place in their division Were to play the U.S. Olympic team They would trample them By a double-digit score And And that was true The Americans got a silver medal. Ted Blackman ends his article by saying, I'm satisfied, Boston 6, Russia 2, every night. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if their team wins. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and you get $150 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or over. Minimum age and location requirements will vary by jurisdiction. See draftkings.com/sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources and its void were prohibited by law. You must put in a minimum $5 deposit. A gambling problem. You have something like that? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text The TN Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, you call 877-8HOPE, New York, Hope NY, or text Hope NY, which is 467-369. Another news item this week seemed fairly innocuous at the time, given everything else that was going on. But this turned out to be a story that had great importance over a period of time. The new New York team now christened the Islanders by owner Roy Bowe, team to play out of Nassau County Coliseum on Long Island. They finally named the general manager. He was former Oakland Seals vice president. Bill Tory, who actually might have ended up running the uh, team as a de facto general manager, had Charlie Finley not proven to be such an all-out dick. One of the side effects of the Tory hire would be that he would bring along with himself some of the folks he had in Oakland and had been around him in hockey during his career. And not the least of these people who would end up in uh, Long Island was my good friend, Ed Chadwick, and we'll actually talk to Ed in the future about his time running the Islanders uh, Farm Club in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Ed was at this point a scout with the Seals, uh, became good friends with Bill Tory, and Bill got him to New York, and although he didn't actually land in Long Island, he was in Texas, and one of the jobs he was given was that he was to make a goalie out of uh, one of their draft picks, a kid named Bill Smith. Meanwhile, in the other expansion team to start next fall, Atlanta, Georgia, there's been reports, although they're trying to keep this quiet, that there were already financial problems dogging that new franchise. But never fear, Dollar Bill Wirtz is here. The chairman of the Blackhawks assured everyone who chooses to listen to him that all the money issues involving the Georgia hockey team were ironed out or would be ironed out or didn't exist. And Bill predicts, an outstanding future for hockey in Atlanta. I just wonder which version of it it'll be, Bill. Well, there were a lot of questions going around this week about the future of Punch Imlac, who continues to recover at his Scarborough home near Toronto from that recent heart attack. Well, you want to know how what's going to happen with Punch Imlac? You go right to Punch Imlac, and we have the answers from the man himself, who this week resumed his weekly syndicated newspaper column, but, like my Twitter feed a couple times recently, this is not uh, a full length column that Punch usually does, slightly abbreviated. And that's what we're going to bring you what he had to say here. Uh, Punch puts the byline in Toronto and he says, Here I am recuperating from a heart attack. And it was quite a shocking experience. I'm not sure if you people want to hear about my medical problems, but from all the cards, wires, and gifts I've received, I came to the conclusion I had a lot of friends and fans who were interested in the state of my health. While I'm on the subject, I'd also like to thank all the people across Canada and the United States for the wonderful messages they sent me while I was in the hospital in Buffalo. I even received a card from Tiny Tim, the number one fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. My wife and I would like to take the opportunity to thank everyone who offered their prayers that certainly helped boost our morale when things look pretty, pretty bleak. Punch goes on to write, I suppose the funniest thing that happened during my attack, and of course I can laugh about it now, but at the time it was pretty damn serious. When I was asked someone to phone the dressing room and have the oxygen tank delivered to the office on the double, well when the oxygen tank arrived at Punch's office, it it was empty. They tried to tell him it wasn't, and that they just didn't know how to use it, but I really believe the tank was empty, says Punch. You can be sure that one of my first jobs, when I get back to work at the odd, will be to check the damn oxygen tank. Punch goes on, the question I'm asked most is what I intend to do with my hockey career. Well, I can't answer that yet. I'm afraid the doctor has ordered me to rest for at least another six weeks, and after that, he'll advise of my condition. This will take me probably to the very near the end of the uh, hockey season for this year. Punch says, I will, of course, have to decide about my availability before the start of the playoffs. After having been in the game for so long, it would be very tough to right finish, and I suppose I'll have to hit me over the head with a hammer to come up with that conclusion. Punch says, even though I haven't been to any games, I've been watching them on television and listening to them on radio, and let me tell you, I found out that I'm just as good an armchair coach as the rest of you people out there. Punch says, I've had lots of time to think during my illness, and I've realized that coaches and managers don't seem to be getting very many heart attacks. Something must have gone wrong somewhere in my case. In recent years, we've had two players who had that problem, Kenny Warm of the Chicago Blackhawks, and the recent heart attack suffered by Bruce Gamble, who used to p- play for Punch in Toronto. And that is how Punch ends. This statement on his hockey future. Near the end of the week, uh, Canadian Press had a story kind of troubling about the Maple Leafs management. Defenseman Ricky Lee of the Maple Leafs says that management of the NHL team is to blame for the club's recent troubles, not the players. Lee told... uh, A a, a newspaper that the trouble is at the top And you can put that in your paper You've got to start laying the blame on management Says Lee He's presently in hospital Recovering from what was described as an ulcer attack Lee did not mention any names and he didn't talk about Jim Gregory or of course the new owner Harold Ballard but Ballard's been in management with Safford Smythe the last few years as well. Lee 23 was born in Orillia Ontario played his junior hockey in Niagara Falls. I used to go watch him. In fact I remember watching Ricky Lee score a goal on our Port Coburn Sailors goalkeeper uh, Jack Templain from just over the blue line in the Port Coburn arena but you got to remember the blue line in that small Port Coburn rink was about five feet closer to the goal than in, than anywhere else and uh, uh Jack to uh, when I spoke to him about it afterwards, said that he never never even saw the shot coming. Now, Lee went on to say one of our problems is that some of the guys are trying too hard and some aren't trying enough. Lee says, I know when I go out on the ice, I'm going to make mistakes, but I know I've got to go all out in every shift. And if I make mistakes, well, that's how you learn. Some of the guys aren't willing to go all out on every shift and they're not willing to learn apparently either. That could be management's fault because they brought in those types of guys. Well, Stan knew it all along. And in this week's sporting news, Mr. Fischler offers congratulations to the Red Wings ownership for sticking with Ned Harkness. It can only get better from here. The only direction is up, according to Stan Fischler, when he writes a cheer for Ned Vick And Jack, and I have no idea who Jack is in in this situation. I knew Ned Harkness was saying that if they gave me a little time, I'd work things out. It was my impression, Stan writes, that Harkness needed a good three years to straighten out the capsized Detroit ship, but less than two years have passed, and the Red Wings are playoff contenders again, mainly because the Maple Leafs have been so bad. Let's hear three huzzas and a bengal for Ned and a backpap for Jim Bishop and Bruce Norris of the Red Wings hierarchy, who didn't panic and push Harkness out when times were were bad. Stan didn't write this, but you get the feeling that the Stanley Cup was just around the corner for the Red Wings. Heavy snow, hardly an oddity in Montreal, almost KO'd the Philadelphia Canadiens hockey game Saturday evening, and when it finally started, some of the players had turned to a snowmobile to actually get to the forum. At least eight members of the Habs were unable to reach the downtown rink for the scheduled start because the streets were completely clogged with snow. Two stranded members of the Canadiens, Jacques Lemaire and Yvonne Cournois, made part of their trip to the rink on a snowmobile. Heavy snow trucks were sent to pick up the other players, all but left winger Mark Tardif made it in time for the delayed faceoff. Tardiff showed up on the Canadian's bench just before the end of the first period before the game. However, a total of eight thousand and sixty-six fans made their way through the snow and saw the Canadians down the flyers three to one. And as promised, here's our World Hockey Association update for the week. We got a lot here to go to. We're going a little longer than I'd like to, but, uh, a lot of news this week. So these are the headlines. And for more detail, once again, our overtime sessions for Patreon subscribers is where you'll get it. Now, as we mentioned last week, the WHA draft festivities began on Friday when the 12 teams each named four players on a preferred list for negotiations. Saturday and Sunday saw the teams go through an incredible 71 rounds or 121 rounds or 70 rounds. It, it was reported many, many different numbers in many different publications. I'm just giving you what they gave us. Some said more than a 1,000 names were called. Some said about 880. I didn't count them all because I don't have a definitive list right now, but I will tell you this. Names were called from every level of hockey and some outside hockey, and even players from communist countries were drafted. In one case... The name called by the St. Paul, Minnesota Fighting Saints team, wasn't even a guy who's a hockey player right now. Minnesota Governor Wendell Anderson, a former star defenseman for the University of Minnesota hockey team and a member of the 1956, that's right, 1956 U.S. Olympic team, was drafted during the Sunday activities by the Fighting Saints. He was selected on the 70th round of the draft. An association spokesman, a WHA spokesman, said the Saints realize the 39-year-old governor might not be available right at the moment, but they figured he has the kind of job where he might become available at any time. I put out on Twitter this week a list of uh, the first 70 rounds. Uh, Canadian Press and Associated Press collaborated on on the list that I had. And I remembered that this was published in the Hamilton Spectator, which was the largest newspaper close to what we, we used to get that every day. They would deliver it way out in the country uh, in low banks where I lived. And I remember getting the... Uh, this edition and opening it up because i really wanted to see what this wha draft thing looked like i'd been hearing stories on the radio and they had this one huge page lots of agate type and the headline said wha draft with the sub is your name here the list seemed to go on forever and i had to admit in my sheltered naive little world i was a little disappointed that i didn't find my name among that thousand or so names that uh were in the story. Now of course none of those guys drafting had any idea who I was. Now these lists that were released by the league to the newspapers around North America were not posted in chronological order. In other words in the order of selection. Uh, It was kind of a strange way to do things but they listed each team's picks in increments. The first list was rounds one to ten but the players were listed in alphabetical order. A couple Papers, had them listed with the first pick of each team and then alphabetical order afterwards. This was a policy instituted by the WHA so that the players would not know when they were drafted and could not use that information as leverage in contract talks. We know that the very first pick in the draft belonged to the St. Paul, Minnesota Fighting Saints or some whatever they called them, and they took a local boy, an American Olympian, Henry Boucher. It was reported in many uh, sources that several NHL players had already agreed to contracts with World Hockey Association teams. But Fred Page, who was the executive director of the Ontario team, not sure yet whether in the draft it was Ottawa or Hamilton, he said that the players who had already signed had requested the WHA to keep their identities a secret until at least the end of the season because some of these guys felt and feared that signing a contract while still under contract to an NHL team might cause a player serious legal problems and you heard what we said earlier in the show what Clarence Campbell had to say about that. Now, some of the biggest names in hockey were not selected until the late rounds. Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, Vic Hadfield, John Rattel, Ken Hodge, Ed Jockman, Tony Esposito were among the big NHL names that didn't hear their name called. Well, they never heard it called at all, really. But they weren't selected until after round number 70. The New York entry into the WHA, aptly named, by the way, the Raiders. Now, I didn't know what because they were going to raid players or whether they just wanted to kind of make people maybe mistake Raiders for Rangers and buy tickets to the games. Who knows? They called themselves the Raiders for a while anyway. They employed a very interesting drafting strategy. Now, remember, the Ranger, the Raiders, <laughs> here I go doing it, general manager is Marvin Milks, a former professional baseball league, Major League Baseball general manager. He drafted the entire Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Toronto Marlboro's line of Dave Gardner, Steve Shutt, and Billy Harris. Now, all three of these players are expected to be first round NHL picks, but the Raiders GM Marvin Milks figured he might be able to convince these kids to sign as a unit in the WHA now remember in the WHA draft there was no position drafting like in the NHL expansion where they would have a goalies picked and then have uh, at least back in those days have the goalies picked and then have skaters picked there were five goalies who were we learned later first round picks Ken Dryden of the Canadians was picked by the Los Angeles Sharks Bernie Perron, of course, by Miami. They would have had to do that. Jerry Desjardins by the New York Raiders. Doug Favell was picked by the Ottawa team. And Jules Villamere, the Rangers, was selected by the Quebec team. Still unnamed as well as all, but we hear the name they were thinking of was something called Nordiques, whatever that is. Allen Eagleson, of course, was present at least on Sunday, and he saw client Dale Talon selected by St. Paul. The Eagles said it would cost the Fighting Saints $150,000 over two years to get Allen to sign one of Talon to sign one of their contracts. Now, another bit of trivia here: all, uh, as we all knew at this point in history, Clarence Campbell ran the various drafts conducted by the National Hockey League most of the time. Who was the draft master for the WHA? And that was a really interesting question. Well, I'll tell you who it was. It was the league's referee in chief, former National Hockey League senior referee Vern Buffy, who kept things moving through the weekend. And you know what? That probably was a pretty daunting task. Twelve teams, and from all accounts, at least a hundred rounds. Each team. Buffy gave only 30 seconds to make their pick, at which time an audible alarm would actually sound, and if no name were forthcoming, Buffalo would move on to the next selector. We weren't told how many times a team may have forfeited a pick. There was already some infighting, there's typical hockey people, amongst the actual members of the WHA. Now, here, listen to this story. This was pretty interesting. Calgary raised some eyebrows by drafting 16 European players. But according to uh, GM Scotty Monroe, there was a little bit of method to the madness here. Monroe thinks he's found a really interesting way to help build the league, and he uses what he calls an underground railway of sorts to bring players out of Europe. In the finding of it, he claims he found a plot by four of the WHA's American teams to shaft the other eight. Monroe says that the four teams plan to get a corner on all the available European talent and then sell it to the other the players that they would draft to the other teams in the WHA for healthy profits but Monroe says I found out about it and I fixed that little game by drafting 16 top European players six Russians five Czechs two Swedes two Germans and a Finn and then he commissioned his friend Al Kazmarek to bring him back alive to Calgary that is a player agent or two said you know what They'll be able to get the players out of Russia from any player from behind the Iron Curtain. It would be a piece of cake to get them to North America for a good chunk of cash. And if you were wondering, yes, Gordy Howe was selected. The Red Wings retired superstar was the final player in the draft taken by the Los Angeles Sharks. The final selection of the draft altogether was held by the Ontario team and owner Doug Michel kind of snickered and told people that his draft pick was going to be Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. There were people however who rushed to Michelle and said don't do this that would be complete Bush League notwithstanding the uh, drafting of the governor of Minnesota but he was a hockey player so they said you know what this is going to uh, really put our questionable credibility even more to the test it's going to be a Bush League move we don't want to be known as a Bush League tell you what folks you want to see Bush League stay tuned for opening night in Philadelphia this fall Philadelphia they don't even have a team at this point stay tuned for that as well You want to know how this was hockey players that were, or hockey people that were actually running this thing? Yeah, there's a lot of money from people who are not hockey guys, but you could tell for sure that it's hockey people doing the actual work, especially in Miami, where general manager Les Patrick drafted his brothers Craig and Glenn Patrick for his team. Yes, there's nepotism and cronyism taking place in the WHA as well. And look at St. Paul. This was even goofier. I don't know if this was the hockey people or what doing this drafting. Glenn Sumner was the guy running the hockey hockey operation. Minnesota drafted two professional football players. Yeah, they did. Jim Carter of the Green Bay Packers and Noel Jenks of the Minnesota Vikings. Both played collegiate hockey and now they're on the WHA negotiation list. And... The New York Raiders did do a a good thing, I thought. They did take two black players. Willie O'Ree of San Diego was claimed uh, earlier in the draft and also Alton White of the American Hockey League, Providence Reds. One of the more enthusiastic World Hockey Association executives is Paul Deneau, who leads the Dayton team, as yet unnamed, the Dayton team team. didn't take any superstars until the end when they grabbed Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito well after the 70th round. And uh, Deneau told this to reporters, the league is extremely long overdue. Deneau said he thinks people are going to be pleasantly surprised by WHA concepts such as the new idea of sudden death over time to determine the outcome of games. Deneau said that the National Hockey League is robbing fans who pay good money for tickets by not getting games decided uh, by a winner or a loser. Ties, according to Deneau, are cheating the public. By the middle of the week, we had some news about that Ontario team that had been up to this time been kind of a neb- nebulous entity. Well, the city of Hamilton had turned down a plan offered by owner Doug Michel to have an arena built in the east end of the city, uh, they made some counter proposals. Michelle didn't like them. So he signed a three-year lease with the uh, Civic Arena Management Committee in Ottawa. And that's where the team would be located. And uh, they were christened the Ottawa Nationals, a name so popular that the CBC would actually name its new lightning newscast after the hockey team. So I'm told by somebody who doesn't know anything. Also with the Nationals, it was learned that former Hockey Canada executive Buck Uhl would likely be named the general manager and Eddie Bush, most famous as a former hockey NHL player and coach of Hamilton's 1962 Memorial Cup winning Junior A Red Wings, would be the team's first coach. So through the week, there were numerous stories all over North America about how players felt about the new World Hockey Association. I'm not going to give you all of them, but I will talk about two who were fairly typical, of the types of guys who were asked about this, uh, young forwards by the name of Reg Leach and Pierre Gery. Reg uh, with the Boston Bruins, Pierre Jerry with the New York Rangers. And by These guys are significant because of events that would surround them later on in the season. Uh, in fact, by the end of this week, Pierre Jerry would be traded by the Rangers to the Toronto Maple Leafs for Jim jo- Dory. Both Leach and Jerry were typical responses. They said if the money being talked about by the WHA was at all real, they would definitely consider any offers that they might receive and consider them seriously. So that's this week's show, everyone, and uh, what did we learn? in this uh, week dominated by a league that was not the National Hockey League. Well, we learned the stories about Bernie Prompt moving the WHA might actually be getting some legs, and that Bobby Hull confirmed what pretty well everyone else in hockey knew. He had been offered that big, huge contract by the Winnipeg Jets, and, of course, Bob had some interesting comments about it. It's looking like he's taking it seriously. We also got all the details of the WHA player draft with some pretty mind-bending selections governor of Minnesota and there was uh, some other little NHL news we talked about as well very enlightening week this week now next week here's some of the stories we're working on the Bernie Pratt story gets a little more clarity the first player taken in the WHA draft that was Henry Boucher he signed a pro contract but who would he sign it with and the owners of the Vancouver Canucks were charged criminally by the British Columbia Police. And all these stories are just on Monday alone. It's going to be quite a week next week. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Can't thank Andy enough for all his hard work. Andy can produce a podcast for you professionally if you're interested. Get a hold of me. I'll hook you guys up if you want to get something started. The very popular Juno-nominated Uh, Toronto indie rock group the rural Alberta Advantage provides our intro and exit music they've just released a couple of new songs if you google them you'll be able to listen to those there they're going to start touring this summer as well. Other musical pieces and sound effects in the show are created by Andy Cole. Our research comes from the files of the Toronto Star, Toronto Global Mail, and of course, the many publications found at our other sponsor, newspapers.com. And we're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. If any of our listeners ever get to the Niagara region, please make your way to the Breakwall. Give me a shout and we'll have a burger and a beer. You can find us on Twitter every day at at Hockey 50 Years, every week right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a Facebook page, 50 Years Ago in Hockey, and a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. Thank you, everyone, who's been tuning in through this uh, winter. It's been a trying winter for us, but this hockey season is as exciting as anything we've covered so far, and we plan on being with you all the way, and you'll hope You'll join us for all the hockey news in 1972. On that note, we'll see you next time.